Philippus FM. This has been an amazing project. I've interviewed a Muslim imam, a Christian priest, a Jewish cantor, and an Assyriologist. And I've gotten to bring a fascinating story to you, the listeners. I'm Alex Williams. Welcome back to the Creation Stories. Day seven is a little unique. Throughout the other six days, God is constantly creating, separating, and engaging with their design. And now, we pause. We take a moment to appreciate. A moment to say, it is very good. It's somewhat poetic to me that this is also where I get to pause. After hundreds of hours of work, I get to sit back and appreciate what I've done. Of course, this isn't the only way we can see real-world parallels in this story. So here's Cantor Russ to start the episode. So, of course, after the creation of humanity, which is the pinnacle of creation, and after humanity is given its unique role to steward the creation and to help the creation flourish and to foster it, after that, God then rests. So we have, as the seventh day of creation, the idea of, in Judaism, the Sabbath, the Shabbat which means that creation is not something that you can do constantly. Even God needed a chance to rest after this creative work. And so what does that teach us about humanity? It teaches us that humanity's role is to, like God, be creative, to steward the creation. But like God, we cannot be creative all the time. We have to pull back. We have to take time to actually resole ourselves because that's what it says God does. The word in Hebrew is vayinafash, that it says God rests and God vayinafash. God resoles God's self. It comes from the Hebrew word nefesh, which means spirit. So in other words, at the end of creation, God rested and God renewed God's spirit so that God could then continue the act of creation. And so as humanity, we have then this ability to stop and to pull back. And by doing so, we recharge and we resole ourselves and we give our spirit that new energy to be able to go out and create again. Because if we did nothing but create constantly, then our creative acts would suffer. But the whole thing with creation is that you have your time to work. You have your time to make all the difference you can in the world. But you have to stop every so often because if you don't, you'll lose your soul. Your soul will be completely drained and you won't be able to create with any meaning. The seventh day of creation is really quite important because it again says that humanity has limits. And even God, although we won't say God has limits, even God needed that moment to say, no, if I were to continue on, my creation really wouldn't be what I envision it to be. So God needed to stop so that more creation could continue. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished in all their multitude. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that God had done and rested on the seventh day from all the work he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it because on it, God rested from all the work that God had done in creation. 
creation needs to rest. We all know that, like we're going into fall and the fallow season where the earth can rest. Um, we need to rest. But in a world where survival was tenuous and precarious, to say it's okay to take a day off, kind of amazing, like really kind of amazing. And so this, this idea of humans and creation need time to rest and to simply be and to cultivate those things that are unique to them, right? Like, you know, when you're working in the fields, doing everything every day, you might have a real talent for something else like music. And you might start summoning some tunes and making some others. You're like hoeing or, or doing whatever. But a day of rest allows us to pay attention to ourselves, the unique person that we are. And I, I think there is that wonderful place where it's almost like the creation story starts again but on this day of rest and what begins to germinate within us. And what does that day of rest when we aren't completely focused on all the tasks that need to be done, we can put the tasks aside and we can focus on ourselves, our questions, our being. Uh, and I, I think that's really profoundly critical that, that we need pause. We need time for stillness. We need time to reflect. We need time to simply be. And that's, I think, what then grounds us back into our own humanity, but back into this creation and, and that sense of, of abundance and, and blessing and a sense to be grateful for, for what is and what we are and what is all around us. So that's, I, I think, a way it kind of comes back full, full circle. So I'm taking a break. I'm taking some time to rest. I have some more content from these interviews I'd like to share, however, specifically about the Adam and Eve and the Garden of Eden story. But in order to bring that as best I can, I need to take a second. I need to resole myself, like Cantor Russ said. As our conversation went on, Natasha gave more insight into why rest is so important. And I, I, I think that if we look at our relationship with God or, or that divine connection in terms of abundance and blessing and being part of a whole in a compassionate way and an understanding of our belonging to each other, a mutual belonging and a mutual responsibility. I think that's what we're about really. And I think, I think that's what God wants us to be about. And I don't think I'm completely off the mark there because when we look um, as Christians look, particularly at um, the teachings of Jesus, that is a huge part. And he is, again, he's not inventing anything new here. I mean, there are times when he, he pushes the law and he has new interpretations and that's that's how, how the world is. Like things evolve and change and new understandings come forward. Jesus draws on the deep teachings of his faith that like the wellness of me depends on the wellness of you. You know, we are individuals and our individuality matters and we're shaped by community and community shapes us and we shape community. But unless the community is well, we will not be well. And a healthy person can also help make a healthier community. But it's all, it's, it's that sense of mutual obligation, mutual interdependence, mutual responsibility. Jesus has a lot of imagery he draws from the natural world. And his language particularly in the Gospel of John, which is a, a very poetical text. When you read that Gospel, this key image of God abides in Jesus, Jesus abides in us, we abide in God, we abide in Jesus, like it's all interwoven. And God is imminent. God is within us. 
and among us, and, and yes, more than us, right? You know, the, the whole is always more than the sum of its parts. But is that idea, again, of, 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 of this mutual indwelling and belonging one to another, and within that we find blessing and we find life abundant. And it draws right back, it's hearkening right back to this creation myth, I think, some of the core ideas laid out in this creation myth of, of belonging to one another. And in that loving one another in the sense of compassion, like you might really hate someone, you're like, man, you are just a jerk. But compassion means you might be a jerk, but you can't be hungry. That's my obligation to you as a fellow human being made in the image of God. In order to fully show up for loved ones, we need to rest. We need to take a moment to pause. This rest allows us to be fully present for our fellow beings. And I particularly appreciate what Natasha said about having a responsibility because someone is human, just serving them and being there for them. I appreciate that. Now, you'll recall at the beginning of the season, Imam Saeed teaching us that in Islam, there is no seventh day in this myth. So, of course, I asked Imam Saeed about this. And we don't have any such explanation as in Bible that uh, then on seventh day God rested. No, we don't have that version and we cannot use that word because God is not like human beings who needs resting, who gets exhausted and tired. So here is a little bit of difference between Islam and Christianity. Uh, explanations for that, not necessarily they mean in physical sense God rested, but whatever is there, the word is God rested. But in Quran, that is not there, and we cannot use that word for God. Because Allah says, Walam ya'ya bi-khalqihinna. In fact, it negates that notion. God created everything. Walam ya'ya bi-khalqihinna. But it's not the case that God exhausted after creating all these creations. The way I was taught this story growing up was that we rest on the seventh day because that's what God did. So I asked Imam Saeed to expand a little on what time management looks like in Islam. Islam says divide your activities or your time management uh, should be in a way that you have four portions. The hadith says this is from our seventh divinely appointed leaders. We are twelvers. We believe in twelve disciples of Prophet Muhammad after Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. And the seventh one, Imam Musa al-Kadim, he has uh, contributed this beautiful aspect of time management. Your day-to-day -day life activities should be revolving around these four pillars or four portions. One portion should go towards God and the other portion should go towards your fellow human beings. You interact with them, you socialize with them, you meet with them, you enjoy their company, they enjoy your company. And the third one, you, you should dedicate one portion to halal, permissible, livelihood. Because in order to survive, you need to have livelihood. You need to have uh, provisions. So work and businesses and jobs all come under that category. And the fourth portion should be dedicated to enjoyment and resting. If you dedicate your time to worship God, to earn your livelihood, and to interact with your friends and family members, to look after their needs, help them, support them, but you don't have the rest, you don't enjoy your life, you'll be weak. This last portion will help you in other three portions. So you should pay very close and very profound attention to this 
fourth portion and make sure that that is not missing in your routine, that is not missing in your day-to-day -day life schedule. As we wrap up, I'd like to submit some final insights we might pull from this myth. And again, I created this show looking for insights from a variety of perspectives, hoping that regardless of your background and regardless of my own, we might all come to appreciate the story, the text, and the meaning it brings to so many people. Here's Imam Saeed. Islam comes from the root word silm, which means peace. And also it has another meaning, submission to God. So when we put them together, peace and submission to God, the meaning of Islam will be acquiring peace and serenity through submitting ourselves to God. And that is our relationship with God. And that is our relationship with everything. If we are not connected with God, if we have faded relationship or broken relationship with God, we may have everything, but we'll definitely lose the peace of the mind. We'll lose the serenity, the comfort within our hearts. And that's what we are seeing in this world. Unfortunately, if you look at the standard of our life, it's getting higher and higher. But if you look at the peace of mind, it's getting lower and lower. The only reason is we are getting away and away from God. Our relationship with God is withering out. As human beings, they cannot find peace and serenity without connecting themselves with God. I really appreciate what he's saying here. How are we connecting? What are we creating? You might think, Alex, how does this insight apply to me if I don't even believe in a God? I don't believe in any God either, but I do find value in connecting with people, spending time in nature, and creating interesting things. For some insights on how we create and how we connect, here's our Jewish guest, Cantor Russ. The idea that words have power in Judaism, what we take from the creation story with the idea of words having power, is the idea that you cannot use speech lightly. Nowadays, so many people just talk and don't realize the consequences of the words that are coming out of their mouths. Judaism has always said you must be very careful with something that escapes your lips because it can be as devastating as a sword. It can cause great havoc and great damage. And so therefore, words have to be taken very seriously. And the model is the model of creation. God chose every word very carefully when God engaged in the act of creation. Hence, we must choose each and every word carefully that comes out of our mouths, because even though we can't create like God creates, our words can create reality for other people. And therefore, we have to make sure that the reality we're creating for others is, again, a reality that is something that enhances and builds up, but that doesn't destroy and tear down. And our words can do that. And the model is the model of God speaking things into being in creation. Judaism has always, always attested to the fact that any evil that comes to the world comes because of humanity and our free will. Creation came from God, tov, good. When the creation of the world, when it all was put in order, it was all very good. There was no evil to be found in the creation. We insert evil into the creation because of our ability to have free will. The creation is good, and God intended it to be good. 
it's our free will that ultimately mucks things up. And that's why we have to take our role as stewards of the creation seriously, because our free will can mar the creation, but our free will can also build up and restore the creation. And the rabbis have a beautiful little story with God reminding humanity not to destroy God's world, because if we do so, then there will be no one left to repair it, because only we, as the stewards of creation, can revive and help the creation to repair and to flourish once again. Cantor Russ is going to share that story when we get to the Adam and Eve story later this year. Make sure you follow the show so you know exactly when that airs. We bring some amazing things into this world, and some terrible things too, but that might be up to us. How are we showing up? What are we bringing to the table? Throughout this podcast, Dr. Josh, the Assyriologist, has told us all about how this story relates to and pushes against the other myths of this age. I had one last question for him. To wrap up here, do you have anything else that you would like to throw in there? I would say, if you're an atheist or a skeptic listening to this, and, and so that it's clear, I am, a, I am an atheist myself, you, you don't have to hate the Bible, right? You don't, you don't, you don't have to hate ancient literature. And I, I see that so often, right? You hear this sort of like, you know, pejorative comments like, uh, oh, those Bronze Age goat herders or something, you know? Please stop using that if you use it, right? Because these are very intelligent people that are writing, appreciating ancient texts and ancient mythologies and, and reading them to, to gain an appreciation and understanding. You mentioned like, how do we use it today? I think it's absolutely the case that we can utilize ancient mythology today. Read it like you would read Shakespeare, read it like you would read any ancient text and say, how does this speak to me? Read, if you read the Epic of Gilgamesh, you'll, if, you, if you think about it, you'll come away appreciating the time that you have here on this earth. If you're serious about it, you'll say, gosh, I gotta get out there and, and help people and enjoy my life while I can, because this is the one that I've got, right? That doesn't mean that you walk away thinking that there's some tunnel under the ground that you can race the sun through, right? You don't think that there's a, uh, there was a creature out in the, in the Lebanon, forests of Lebanon that guarded the cedars. Like nobody thinks there wasn't some giant bull from heaven that, you know, snorted and sucked up the Euphrates river. I mean, come on, like you don't have to, those two things don't go hand in hand. And so I, I think I think appreciating the historical background and the literary background of the ancient Near East, the ancient world, for something like the Hebrew Bible can be terribly useful. And I published a book recently, actually, about this sort of thing. It's called The Atheist Handbook to the Old Testament. And actually, we're going to be publishing it. It's in hardcover now, uh, but Megan's going to put it out in paperback, so it's a little bit cheaper, a little bit easier for people to get. But it, like it's on Amazon. If you search on Joshua Bowen, you can find it. But like the, it gives historical background to the ancient Near East. It gives literary background, and then it goes into some of these debated topics about you know the, the Hebrew Bible and places them in a, in, in a. It says, look, stop thinking about them as this divinely inspired and inerr inerrant word of God. Stop thinking about them that way. You don't need to do that to to appreciate them. Think about them in this light. 
And when you do, you'll say, my God, these things are so interesting. It's so interesting to read through the, the flood narrative and to see how it is that it reworks these. It's so interesting to read the story about, you know, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and see what it is that they're doing in the emphases. It's so interesting to read through the prophets and see what it is that they're bucking against. We can have an appreciation for ancient literature and ancient cultures, and, and we don't have to condemn them because we were raised to believe uh, that they were the inspired word of God that dictated how we should live our lives. I don't think we, we need to do that. Natasha had something similar to say. I'll let her close us out. Do you have anything else that you'd like to make sure you get in, make sure we get recorded before we hop off? Um, I guess it would be for us to appreciate the beauty and the richness and the wisdom of our creation stories, all of them, and to take some time to really sit with them and come at them as bearers of deep wisdom that give us insight into to what it means to be human in our relationship with the earth and to just to spend time reading them and, and asking the questions like, I like this. I don't like this. What does that mean? What is that going about? What? I mean, and again, I, I think the gift in that is it is one way to both challenge what we've been taught because what we've been taught as we know, um, very often needs to be questioned and challenged and changed right? It does. And so this helps us to think and to think critically and to, to bring that, but also to, to appreciate them for the insight and just the beauty they can bring to our lives and, um, and a sense of our connectedness as a common humanity and, and seeing what are, what are common ideas that are present here that seem to bind us as humans and be part of this kind of larger human shared consciousness. And, and to really take that seriously, you know, in all of the bazillion things that divide us and all of the forces and people that are intentionally trying to divide us, what are these things that these stories tell us hold us together? And, you know, we need each other, right? Like we are, we are not other. And that is, I think, the fundamental trap we fall into is we other, we other the earth, we other the plants, the animals, and we other each other. You are not the same as me. And yet we are. Yet we are. And how do these stories remind us of that and help ground us in that? I think it's important. It's just one of those fundamental pieces that can then shape all the other things we bring to conversations to the conflicts of our time. So, and thank you so much. It's been, it's been fun to just kind of go, here's what I think <laughs> and share with it, share of it what you think is of value and, um, and, and all, all the best with putting this together. I'll look forward to hearing it when it's up. Thank you for listening. There it is. There's the last episode of this season. Well, okay, I guess part one of this season. I hope you learned something new throughout these seven episodes. Whether it was about the history, the text, or one of the perspectives brought from religious tradition. Remember, I only interviewed four people, and there are nearly 8 billion people on the planet. In my other personal projects, I've interviewed over 300 people. Each of them has an interesting story to tell. Each of them has some special insight into life. Talk to, and more importantly, listen intently to the people around you. Every year, the Calgary Interfaith Council provides a great opportunity to do just that. 
February 1st to 7th, 2022, will feature a variety of events with guests from all sorts of faith backgrounds. The events this year are virtual, so wherever you happen to be, I invite you to participate. The schedule is linked in the show notes. There is also a survey in the show notes. I'm looking for feedback on how I can improve, and I'm asking you what stories from other cultures you'd like to hear in future seasons. And now, once again, I'll invite you to stick around for the credits. A massive thank you to those of you who support this podcast and the rest of my work on Patreon. If you'd like to become a supporter, it's the first link in the show notes. You'll get a thank you card from me and a bunch of bonus content as well. The Creation Stories is a production of Polytropus FM. I, Alex Williams, wrote, hosted, produced, and edited this episode. Our guests include Cantor Russell Jane, Imam Saeed Hassan, the Reverend Natasha Brubaker Garrison, and Dr. Joshua Bowen. If you'd like to get in touch with any of our guests, see their work, or support them, I've put links in the show notes. Specifically, like Dr. Josh mentioned, he recently published The Atheist Handbook to the Old Testament, which I think will broaden your appreciation for these stories, regardless of your background. And, of course, special thank you to the Calgary Interfaith Council. Please make sure that you do go and check out what they're up to this first week of February 2022, and every year. Special thank you to Rob Faulkner, Matt Baker, Dalton Harding, and the Calgary Interfaith Council for connecting me with guests and additional resources. Thank you to Garrett Vandenberg for creating our theme music. He's also done the original music for My Wax Museum and Polytropus, so I highly recommend you check out his work. And thank you to Bethany Gustafson for our show cover art. A full list of sources and credits can be found in the show notes. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back later this year with some episodes on Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden.